Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for Retirement Elevated with Sean Lee. Welcome to Retirement Elevated Radio with Sean Lee. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and I'm excited to have you on our show today. We're going to talk about a lot of topics regarding and revolving around, are you asking the wrong financial questions? You can find this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on many of the other podcast sites, or you can reach out to us directly at 855-50-RETIRE. That's 855-50-RETIRE. Or go to our website at elevatemyretirement.com. So let's just jump into it. Now, there's been a lot of talk recently about how the fiduciary rule changed and how that reversal is impacting how financial products are sold. And the Wall Street Journal just came out with a, a recent article disclosing that annuity sales for steak and chicken dinners are actually up by around 29%. So as the fiduciary rule was reversed, we're starting to see more of these dinner seminar events, dinner events that are being promoted out in the public where an individual goes out and they host an event, an hour-long event at a restaurant. They provide dinner and they're going to teach you the latest and greatest there is to learn about finance in about an hour. And the real idea behind that is to schedule meetings and maybe sell you a financial product. Now, I would argue at this point in time that that's not the route that you would want to take when it comes to your hard-earned finances. I mean, think about it. Are you going to learn everything that you need to know in regard to your finances in an hour and a half? And I'm a big believer, and we've talked about this on different podcasts, the advisor that is the most vocal and the advisor that is the easiest to find may or may not be the right advisor for you. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about are you asking the wrong financial questions? And how do you decipher through a lot of the noise that's out there? We call it financial marketing. Maybe not financial science, but financial marketing. And you all know what I'm talking about when it comes to financial marketing. It's the radio program that tells you that you could lose tens of thousands of dollars when it comes to your social security. Come meet us and figure out how to maximize it. Not optimize your social security, but figure out how to maximize it. Or the new one that we're starting to hear is that there's going to be a massive market correction. And you need to come meet with us, advisor on the radio, because, hey, uh, we don't know when it's going to come. And you need to protect all of your assets. Or you need to come to our dinner seminar and learn how to protect your money. When the reality is, when we start to look at building a real plan, And I'm not talking about a one-page plan. I'm talking about a real retirement income plan that focuses on five main areas. And those five main areas are income, investments, taxes, healthcare, and estate. Now, there's a reason why the CFP is one of the largest and most recognized designations out there today. It focuses on comprehensive, holistic planning, those five main areas. Now, those five main areas are difficult to cover in a single-page plan, and it takes time. It's hard, and it takes time, and it's not the easiest to find an advisor who follows not only the fiduciary standard, but builds holistic plans. But let's talk about, you know, are you asking the wrong financial questions? Because here at our office, every one of our advisors are highly credentialed. We either carry an RICP, which is a Retirement Income Certified Professional, Uh, master's in financial planning, or the CFP designation. And a lot of people have questions about their retirement, but we find that they're asking the wrong questions. 
And so I wanted to cover some of those common questions and teach you about the different types of questions that, that you should be asking instead. So let's just jump into it. I've got a list of six or seven questions here. And I thought, you know, let's go through these. So the first question that I hear commonly asked is, how much do I need to have saved in order to retire? Now, the large insurance carriers, they've done a great job of promoting the fact that you need to have, you know, XYZ dollars and know your number. And ING, or formerly ING, who's currently Voya now, they used to have this ad campaign where it's knowing your number. And, and each individual was walking around. They had $1.635 million dollars or they had $600,000 or whatever it may be, but it was the idea of knowing your number of how much money you needed in order to retire. Let's slow that down because in a lot of cases, people think, oh man, Sean, I don't have $2 million to retire. I don't have a million and a half to retire. But where ING is missing the boat is that they're not really taking into account the full plan. So the better question might be, how much income will I need and how much will my current savings give me? So let's just put the pieces together a little bit here. Now, how much income do I need? Let's say that you need $60,000 a year, for example. We met with a couple the other day and they said, Sean, you know, we're not quite sure if we've got enough money to retire. We just don't know. That's the largest concern. Will my money last as long as I do? And we think we're pretty good savers, Sean, but we're just not quite sure. We've saved $650,000 at this point in time. We don't live an exorbitant life, but we need $60,000 a year. We want to be comfortable. We want to maintain our lifestyle and still do some things. Well, at first glance, you know, to create $60,000 a year off of a $650,000 portfolio could potentially be a little tough. But once we started to dig into it and you look deeper and you say, okay, well, we've got a husband and wife. Husband's getting $2,200 a month in Social Security and the wife is getting $1,400 a month. Okay, cool. Now we've got about $3,600 a month of income coming in just from the social securities. When if you break it down the $60,000 per year, that's only $5,000 per month. So their income gap is $1,400. Now we're starting to get clarity. Okay, we've got this $650,000. We need to create income, about $1,500 to $1,800 a month of income from that asset pool. That becomes a much larger reality. It becomes much easier to create the income that's needed when you start to take everything into account. And once the plan was completed and designed in a way that they were most comfortable, they were able to confidently go into retirement and match their investment strategies up with what their income needs needed to be and now have a, a map on where they were headed, not just from an income and investment standpoint, but from a tax, healthcare, and estate standpoint. Now, the next question that we get is, should I get long-term care insurance or should I just roll the dice? And Sean, I hear that all these studies that one in two people will need long-term care. The longer that we're living, the higher the probability is that we're going to need long-term care. And when you look at it, you know, should I get long-term care insurance or should I just roll the dice? Those aren't the only two options. So what I would tell people to do is, Hey, look at the actual cost. So national averages when it comes to the cost of care. And then let's look at your home state. So I live in Utah. The average cost for home health care is $45,000 a year. The average cost for long-term nursing care is about $72,000 per year based on a Genworth 
cost of care study that was done in 2017. The average person stays in long-term care or needs care for about 2.7 years, so three years. So the first step is, well, if I need home health care, I need $45,000 a year for three years, it's 135 grand. Okay, if I need full-blown nursing care for three years at $72,000, that's $216,000. So the first step in this is determining, you know, can my portfolio handle $135,000 drawdown or a $216,000 drawdown, depending on what sort of care I need. If your portfolio can handle that, great. The next step is to determine, well, if my portfolio can handle that, what happens if I pass away to my surviving spouse? Can the portfolio handle that drawdown and still provide for my spouse? If the answer is yes, perfect, you're done. You self-insure. You roll the dice. But if you don't like that outcome, you look at three options. Yeah, could you buy long standalone long-term care? Absolutely you could. What are the other options? Well, you could look at an annuity strategy that provides a long-term care rider attached to it. Where if your annuity strategy is creating $2,000 a month, for example, it doubles to $4,000. Or you could create a life insurance with a long-term care strategy where you're allowed to use the death benefit for your long-term care needs while you're alive and instead of waiting to pay out benefits when you're dead. See, when it comes to long-term care, there's not a right or wrong answer. It has to be comfortable for you. And the first step is determining what would the actual cost and spend down of my assets due to our portfolio and what would it do to my surviving spouse if something happened to me. If that overall outcome is okay, then you don't need to go any further. You don't necessarily need to buy policies. And if, but if it's not comfortable, then you need to look at what all the options are that are out there. The next question that we get is, Sean, you know what? How can we just get the highest possible return on my money? And this is great. You know, we have a discussion around, hey, do you want return on your money or return of your money? And in most cases, and if you're saying, Sean, I want both, you're not alone. You're not alone in the fact that, hey, I want my cake and I want to be able to eat it too. And I want to see my money continue to grow. And I don't want to spend down my assets. I want to protect the principal if at all possible. So understanding that, you know, hey, how can I get the highest possible return on my money? Well, the first step is going out and figuring out how much fluctuation in your portfolios you're really willing to take. Are you willing to take a 10% correction to get a 14% return? Are you willing to take a 5% correction to get an 8% return? Or are you on one of those people who likes the peaks and valleys and you're comfortable with a 30% downturn to get a 60% upturn? Once you know what type of person you are when it comes to fluctuation in your accounts, then you can create an investment strategy that matches up with that. So to tie things together, if we look at the income component, you know, knowing what you need income-wise in comparison to what you're comfortable with fluctuation-wise, now you can build a unique and customized investment strategy for you. And that's what we do here at our firm, Elevated Retirement Group. Every plan that we build is custom-built, designed, and focused on those five pillars of financial planning income, investments, taxes, healthcare, and estate. So let's move on to the next question. The next question that we usually get is, where can I pay the lowest fees for financial advice? And I get fees. Fees are there. Fees are always going to be part of the investment strategy. 
But when you look at fees, if you're looking for the absolute lowest fees for financial advice, what I would tell you is go to Vanguard or Betterment, which are just robo-advisor type strategies. They're going to build an allocation and you're going to follow their models. There's no customization to it, but you're going to get really cheap investment advice. Now, I understand that it's important to not pay any unnecessary fees. We want to keep your portfolios as efficient as possible. Because if we can keep you as efficient as possible, that means there's more money in your pocket and your portfolio has a higher probability of success. But the real question should be, what am I getting for the fees that I'm paying? Am I getting just investment management or am I getting consistent feedback and advice and an overall plan design that is monitored on a daily or monthly or annually basis. See, fees are fees. It just needs to be a value discussion. You know, and we have this discussion a lot in, in any of our retirement elevated classes that we teach. We do evaluations when people come into our office and have a discussion around fees. And my job isn't to tell you, hey, you're paying too much in fees. My job is to show you what you're paying and let you make a determination are you getting enough value out of the fee structure that you're paying? That's our opinion on fees. Now, fees are always going to be part of it. You just need to make a determination of if you're getting the value out of your fee structure or not. And the last question that we get is, what can I do to pay less in taxes this year? And I love this question. I think that tax planning is and should be the most important aspect when it comes to building your financial and retirement income plan. If you can build a really strong tax strategy to go along with your income and investments, your plan is going to be able to withstand changes in tax law. You're going to see a higher probability of longevity, and you're just going to have a lower stress level on your portfolios because you're pulling less money out if you have a strong tax strategy. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to reduce your taxes in the present, but a more important question might be, how can I save money on taxes in future years, even for the rest of my life? CPAs, and I love our CPA. We have a great relationship with our CPA. He does a really good job. But every year that he does our taxes, what does he do? He looks in reverse. Well, here's what you did this year. Here's what your income was. Maybe you sold some stock or bonds or whatever it may be, and you've got an increased tax liability because of it. Well, and then here's what you owe. So that's really just a backward-looking approach. But if you incorporate true tax planning in your plan where it's a forward-looking strategy and you look at, you know, should I do Roth conversions? Should I take withdrawals out of my accounts early? Should I postpone Social Security? Should I simultaneously withdraw from my after-tax, my pre-tax, and, and my tax-free accounts? You know, How do I incorporate that withdrawal strategy now you're starting to build a strategy that you can save money on taxes in future years and perhaps even for the rest of your life. So let me give an example of a plan that I just completed. I was working with a gal. She's getting ready to retire next June. A great saver. She'd saved about a million in her 401k and another 500000 in after-tax money. I mean, really phenomenal saver and had some Roth money. And her current plan over the life of her plan, she was going to pay almost $851,000 in taxes. And that was over a 20-year period, 25-year period. So you're looking and you're thinking, wow, that's a big chunk of asset that's going to taxes over a 20-year period. Now, because she was such a good saver and she had incorporated 
and some after-tax money, a little bit of Roth money, and some IRA money, we did a couple of things. We were able to determine the optimum time to take Social Security, not the maximum time, because maximum time would have been 70, but the optimum when it put the least amount of stress on her assets. We incorporated some Roth conversion strategies and then some withdrawal strategies inside of her plan. And by just putting some thought and some work into her plan, we were able to take her lifetime tax bill. Now, this is based on current tax law and that could change from $850,000 down to $721,000. She had $130,000 tax savings. That's a big deal when it comes to putting stress on your assets. So when we start to look at taxes, let's not look at taxation just in one year. Let's look at, at reducing taxation over the life of your retirement income plan. So I wanted to get that out there that, hey, you know, there's ways to look at it. There's lots of financial questions that could or should be asked. There's lots of different ways to skin it. But when it comes down to it, with the changes in fiduciary law, with the changes in and the reversal in that standard, we should be asking the right questions to our advisors. Now, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach us at 855-50-RETIRE. You can go to our website at elevatemyretirement.com and get a hold of us, and we'll make sure that your questions get answered. I hope you found some value in this podcast today. Once again, this is Sean P. Lee with Elevated Retirement Group, and you're listening to Retirement Elevated Podcast with Sean P. Lee. Until next time, we hope you have a great week, prosperous month, and enjoy the holidays, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All the best. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.